Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Last week was Father's Day, and uh, we talked about the high calling of being a dad and about how as men, we need to understand that God has a calling upon our lives to lead our families, that we are as fathers, there it is, that's it, the covenantal heads of our families. And so as it goes with us, so it goes with the family. I'm sorry if that's a, a new insight for you or too much pressure for you, but it is just the reality of the situation for better or for worse. And so if you're a single man, unless you're one of the very, very few people who are called to not be married, you should be strongly desiring a, uh, a, a wife and uh, children because there is no greater influence that you will ever have in the Great Commission and in discipleship than upon your children. They are your greatest disciples. That's why we've had six of them. That's why we look forward to many, many grandbabies that will come. Um, I, I heard, got a little time on that, got a little time, a little time, yeah. Um, I heard a pastor recently say that we grow the kingdom through the word and through the womb. I love that. We preach the gospel, lead people to Jesus, and then have lots of babies and disciple them. So I fully expect that the birth rate of our church in the future is going to be so much greater because that is the, the children are a blessing from the Lord. That is the, the kingdom of God is to reproduce, to be fruitful and multiply. But this, this week, I want to take this fathering message a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper, uh, especially in regards to uh, if it happens again, maybe just leave it because it'll, it'll be all good as long as those lights don't get too bright in my eyes. But um, we're going to go a little deeper with this fathering message, especially in how it relates to uh, how we, what God is like, how we relate to him, uh, but then also how that impacts how we relate to one another. Uh, in this next season of, our, uh, of the life of our church, I feel that God wants us to strengthen one of our kingdom culture values. We have eight kingdom culture values that really define who we are, what we understand the, the, the God's heart for the kingdom is, and what the culture of the kingdom is, and what the uh, culture of church should be. And one of those kingdom culture values is that church is a covenant family, where we really press in on this question of, am I growing in a sense of belonging uh, among the people of God? I, I meet a lot of people who've experienced um, a form of church that doesn't really seem like family. And if that's what you've experienced, a uh, church that isn't a healthy family, then I, I just want to say that what you've experienced is dysfunctional and it's not the, the heart of God. And some of us may need to have our mind renewed about what church should be like. So um, we're going to go a little bit deeper today. We're going to deal with some some deep things in the heart. Uh, probably one of the most deepest levels that we can go in our hearts. So I hope you're ready. We're gonna look at uh, three verses, one from the Old Testament, two from the New Testament. 
Uh, we'll start in Psalm 68. We'll put it on the screen for you. This one is the New Living Translation. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. We're going to look at another verse. This is uh, two more verses, actually, uh, this both in the New Testament. This is John chapter 14. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to his disciples. This is not long before his crucifixion. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Let's just let that truth wash over us. Let's just hear that one more time. The one who loves me, this is Jesus, says the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. One more passage, Romans 8. This is Paul, beginning in verse 14. This is from the English Standard Version. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I want to talk today about sonship and covenant family. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We thank you, how you for how you've been with us today. Lord, would you reveal what you mean when you say that you're a father to the fatherless? That, Lord, we're adopted as your sons. What does that mean? Holy Spirit, would you come and open our eyes? Father, I pray for revelation that would go so deep in our hearts that we would experience, that we would look at this day as really even the greatest internal transformation that you've ever done in our lives. Why not? Why couldn't we believe you for that, Lord? You take us from strength to strength, grace to grace. You want to reveal more and more of yourself to us. And so, Father, we ask for a greater revelation of you as Father than we've ever known before. Let's just, just maybe lift your hands or just put your hands out in a posture of receiving. Just receive his love. Father, we come against every lying spirit, every spirit of condemnation that has plagued the hearts of your people in the past. Say that from this point forward in this service and from today, 
No more authority in Jesus' name. No more right. You plague the hearts of my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, come into that place. Lord, wherever there are wounds of fathering in our hearts, would you come and heal? Wherever we've misunderstood what, it, what a father is, Lord, let there be a humility from the youngest to the oldest, a humility to come before you like a child and say, Lord, I need my heart healed. I need to see you more clearly. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I shared last week about how, like, um, like many people, like some of you perhaps, I experienced some dysfunction in my relationship with my natural father, with my dad. And uh, he was really a great dad in a lot of ways. Like when I was younger, he spent a lot of time with me. I felt very loved by him. He was consistent in discipline. Might have been a little bit harsh sometimes, but uh, there were still lots of hugs and, and cuddles. And I just knew I was loved. But about the time we got into my, I got into my teenage years and my late teens, my dad sort of felt like his important years of fathering were done. He got me to the place where I needed to get to. And then he just walked out of the house, basically. Uh, left my mom, was unfaithful to her, and they uh, later got a divorce. And it was amazing to me when I look back and how I can still remember. You know, there's not a lot of memories I have of being 17 years old, but I can remember sitting in that dark room in my living room. Uh, and it was interesting looking back how the lights were like, there was no lights on in the room, like we were in the dark. And he basically is telling me about how uh, he's met another woman and that uh, he's fallen in love with her and he's leaving. And it's amazing how there was this insecurity that took a, a root in my soul because uh, of all the things that my, I wanted to see my dad do, it was be faithful to my mom. Like, you know, there was something that just, that in the breakdown of their relationship made me really wonder, can I trust him? Can I trust any father figure? Um, if this is what my, my dad is like, and you don't even think about these thoughts, but what is this, you know, you, you have this kind of repressed thing of, of when you hear about God being a father, you go back to whatever your experience was as a natural father. And so in these very crucial years of being a teenager, when there should have been a transition into this depth of friendship with my dad, I lost all trust in him. And he became really a model for me, not of integrity, but of, uh, of unfaithfulness. And so there was something of a, an orphan spirit. There was something of, of feeling orphaned and betrayed in that moment that, that gripped me. And I began to feel in many ways, even though I couldn't have expressed this, I began to feel fatherless. Now, I'm thankful that God began to reveal himself to me. I was born again, 21 years old, uh, third year at university. I ended up in this church. It was a great church. And thankfully, there were men that began to uh, come alongside me in that church who began to father me. And 
they taught me the word of God. They encouraged me. Uh, they corrected me at times if necessary. They rebuked me. And it was amazing because the relationship that I had with my pastors in that season was so critical and so crucial that, and I shared this last week, I remember this one moment sitting down with one of them and I literally just like lost it. I just started weeping on his shoulder, just thanking him for like stepping in and being like a dad to me. And, and you know, looking back on that, it, it just kind of helps me to see how significant that season was in my life. And it's amazing how, you know, how destructive that, that breakdown in my relationship with my father was in shaping um, the deep core parts of who I was and then gave me all these battles I had to work through. But it's equally amazing to me that God began to heal that in covenant family, that connecting into a healthy church where other men were discipling me and uh, where I was actually feeling loved and valued um, and there were these, these men who were fathering me, things began to be healed. God was revealing himself to me as a father, but he was practically healing me through spiritual fathers. And this is what God intends for all of us, especially those of us, I mean, it doesn't matter who we are, whether we're born into a great family and we had a great father or a dysfunctional family and maybe breakdown in our relationship with our father, it's God's heart that covenant family would be a place where we find spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Now, God's best for us is that we grow up in a great home, and God's best for you men in this room is to be discipled, be fathered, be shaped and formed into someone who can be a great husband and a great father, and then you father children and become spiritual father to those children and give them a great picture of what the father in heaven looks like. And then there'll be other men that come along and, and spiritually father them or other women that spiritually mother them. But God has called all of us and his desire for all of us is to experience healthy covenant family. So I've deeply experienced in my own life this first passage that we looked at, Psalm 68. God became my father as someone who was practically fatherless. He began to father me. He began to heal things in my soul. He put me, someone who was lonely, insecure, broken, drowning my insecurity, getting high every day, you know, um, going down this path of darkness and destruction in my own life, trying to cover over the wounds of my soul. He brought me into family and begins to heal those things. Now, it's interesting. I've been a part of many churches throughout my years of ministry because we moved to different places to start, help start churches or to, um, to work with on university campuses and campus ministry, um, as cap campus missionaries. And I was thinking back, we've actually been in 12 churches. This is our 12th church <laughs> that we've been in through the years. And so I've seen some churches that are healthy, it's like a family, and there's spiritual moms and dads, and the relationships are, are deep. There's brother-sister relationships, and it's healthy. But I've been in other churches that seem to function more like an organization, and there was a CEO that was in charge, and the church was 
full of hirelings or maybe at best competing brothers and sisters uh, who saw themselves as part of an organization in this, and then and just really there to, as consumers, to get out of the event or whatever it was, uh, whatever that they could experience for themselves. And I can assure you it's the latter that is much more dysfunctional and unhealthy. It's the former uh, that is healthy and what God intends. One of them produces sons and daughters walking in unity with one another. The other produces employees or hirelings who are competing with one another. Sat with someone this last week, actually, and I just was thinking, you know, they'd had this really bad church experience. And it was very much that kind of um, CEO leader church model. And I was speaking to someone else, actually, who was at a, a similar church and talking about how it was like being on staff at this church was like being in high school again. It was like just this, you know, remember the dysfunction of relationship in high school and just the, the bitchiness and the, you know, just the kind of back body. I don't know if it's okay to say that when you're preaching or not, but I just did. But uh, we'll, we'll maybe wipe that off the podcast, but especially before Pastor Corey hears it. But anyway, but you know, like the last thing you want when you show up at church is it for, for it to be like that, right? And I just was sitting this person with this person thinking, I wonder, and I, I even actually asked him this. I was like, have you ever before this, before this church, did you ever have an experience of church that was healthy? Because I said, my concern for you is, is if you don't, then you have no hope, or how are you going to have hope that there actually is something else better out there? Because if you think, oh, well, this is all that I've experienced, and this is what church is, well, then that's why people get burn out and never show up in a church again, because there's no recognition that there's something, there's a, there is a pathway or a model or a heart that God has for church that is healthy and that is life-giving and is, is a place where we find and experience healing and a depth of relationship. But the challenge is, is if we've never been fathered and we show up uh, in, an, in an experience where we're leading a church and we have never been fathered, we don't know how to father other people. And then we just perpetuate this dysfunction that's in our own soul. But at the foundation of church as covenant family is this, uh, this principle or this theology of sonship. We can see it in Paul's heart as an apostle in his heart for his son in the faith, Timothy, and others, Titus, that he mentored and was a spiritual father for, where the, the, the central role of apostolic grace is to raise up spiritual sons and daughters as a father and as a couple of father and a mother in the house to create a culture where uh, covenant family is just what um, unfolds, you know, of, of healthy values, modeling healthy relationship. One of the greatest roles I have as a father in my house is just to be a referee, right? To, you know, when there's, to, to make sure everybody gets along, to um, help to resolve conflict and to model in my relationship with my wife and for us to model together, this is how you walk together faithfully and be in relationship. And when we maybe haven't seen that, and then we come into 
a church environment that's supposed to be like a family, we can struggle with that. And I see many people come even into healthy church family where you can actually be fathered and be mothered and they don't make it. And we'll talk about why in a few minutes. So how do we find spiritual fathering? Well, it begins with God, of course. And there's only one place to look, and that's to Jesus. Jesus is our model of perfect sonship. He's our model. In the Gospel of John, there's a story of Jesus uh, healing a man at the pool of Bethesda. You know that one where the guy had been an invalid for 38 years, jumping into the water when it bubbles, and that superstition of, uh, of um, the first one in the pool? Only the first one, though. You're the second, too bad, not enough power there for you. But if you're the first one in, you get healed. And Jesus comes along and sees this man and heals him. But the Pharisees weren't too happy because he happened to heal him on the Sabbath. And it was amazing because you just see the, the dark heart of the Pharisees where they didn't celebrate the healing. They just rebuked the man for carrying his mat on the Sabbath. You can't carry your mat, it's the Sabbath. You know, it's like, do you, do you not just see that this man was healed? And uh, of course, the Pharisees are persecuting Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And then I love what his response is. Jesus says, well, my father is always working. And I just do what I see my father doing. He goes on in, in, uh, in, in John chapter five, he says, uh, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. Not even Jesus, all right? Son of God, God in the flesh, not only Jesus, not even Jesus would do his own thing. He's completely dependent upon the father. He was God completely, but he was also man fully but his eyes were constantly on the Father. And as a man, he sets aside these parts of his divinity where he could find uh, a divine strength within himself. And he models for us as a man with flesh, uh, what it looks like to walk in perfect sonship. Perfect sonship, absolutely dependent upon his relationship with the Father. He showed us what, it's, what it looks like to live out of the overflow of this intimate closeness with God as Father. And so at the foundation of his ability to do this was his revelation of who the Father was as his Father and who he was in a very special relationship with God as a son. And so there's two key times where God reveals who Jesus is verbally, like an audible voice from heaven twice. And God says the exact same thing. One was at Jesus' baptism, the other at the transfiguration. You remember what he says? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Of all the revelation that, that the father wanted people to know this man here is my son he is modeling for you the type of relationship that i want you to have with me if he's a son 
then I am a father. And so God endorsed Jesus not as a prophet. He didn't say, this is a prophet, listen to him. He didn't say, this is a teacher, okay? He spoke over him an identity that was at the core of who he was. It was about his being, not his doing. God didn't speak over him any identity that related to function and role. It was an identity that was deeper than that, as a son. This is what the father wanted everyone to know about Jesus. And so Jesus, because of this revelation, he had a certainty of the father's complete love. And that love that he knew the father had for him was completely independent of his performance. He knew that he was loved regardless of what he did. His identity was based on relationship. His identity was rooted in sonship. And so this is what Jesus came to reveal to us about who God is. He's father. In the Old Testament, there's 15 references to God as father, but in the New Testament, there's 245 times that God is revealed as father, showing us that the predominant revelation that Jesus came to bring, the focus of his ministry is to restore humanity back to God as his children, as his sons, relating to God as father. And so sonship begins for us with the revelation of God as our father. We got to have that. Just like Jesus had that revelation, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, so we must have this same insight revelation of God as our father. Now, this was what was lost for us in the Garden of Eden. This is the primary thing that was lost. This revelation, this recognition, this ability to walk in closeness with God as a father. So Adam used to take walks with God. Remember that? Genesis, taking walks with God. But then all of a sudden, when he rebelled against God, what happened? No longer was he drawn to close, intimate relationship with God as father. From that point on, what happens? He runs to hide from God. There was this breakdown in the relationship. His sin had separated him from God as father. His sin was hiding God's face from him. Face speaks of intimacy. He couldn't connect intimately with God anymore. He couldn't understand the, the love of, of the father. He couldn't connect deeply with that. God as a loving father. And of course, Romans 3 says that all have sinned. And so this means that uh, the root of our fragmented relationship with God and inability to connect with God as father is the rebellious tendency that's in the heart of man. It's sin that separates us from God. And so sin produces in us an orphan spirit. An orphan heart is a fallen identity, a proclivity to find our significance or our meaning in life in things that are temporal, in things that don't last, in created things. And so because the orphan heart lacks a revelation of God as father, and there's this longing in our soul for something deeper than what we experience, we try to create all these little things to put our identity 
in. We create all these little idols. We make idols out of money. We make idols out of career and job. And we, we, we search for identity, identity, but it's primarily in performance. It's in, I just need to do more. And we exhaust ourselves and, and wear ourselves out and become burned out because we don't really know that we're loved, don't really know that we matter, and we perform and perform and perform, and it just doesn't meet the deepest need of the soul. The orphan heart doesn't know that it's loved by God. But God wants us to be restored to him as our father through Jesus Christ. And so he calls us to repent of the idolatry of the orphan heart and to trust fully in the finished work of Christ. And in so doing, we look to Christ as the model of sonship and how to relate to God. And when we trust in Christ, we become his sons. We're adopted into sonship. We begin to look to God as father. We're we're positioned and restored to this place where we can say to God, Abba, Father, or Abba is a, um, a word that speaks of intimacy and closeness. I remember uh, a pastor friend of mine was, was saying he was traveling in the Middle East and this little three-year-old, two-year-old boy running up the middle of the, the uh, airplane saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. It was, he was crying out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. It just spoke, it speaks of this intimate connection that's possible for us. And so we can see in the Gospels this really helpful contrast of how to relate to God in Jesus, but how not to relate to God in the Pharisees. So in the Pharisees, we see the epitome of the orphan heart, the fatherless heart. In Jesus, of course, we see sonship. And so the Pharisees, they saw God as a harsh disciplinarian or taskmaster. Jesus related to God as a gracious and loving dad, even saying at one point, all that the father has is mine. The Pharisees operated out of insecurity and the fear of man, whereas Jesus was secure in the father's love. Pharisees did things for the approval of man. Jesus did things knowing he already had the approval of his father. The Pharisees found their identity in comparison with others trying to elevate themselves above other people. Jesus found his his identity in the Father's love and calling and destiny that he had over his life. The the Pharisees, they were full of selfish ambition and jealousy. Jesus could selflessly lay down his life to serve others. The Pharisees, they were elitist. They were judgmental against those who they saw as sinful. Jesus was inclusive and merciful towards those, especially those who knew that they were sinners. And so if you battle these thoughts, these are essentially the symptoms of the orphan heart. If you struggle to feel loved by God, if you always feel condemned, if you feel insecure or over-concerned for what other people think about you, uh, do you tend to compare yourself with other people? Are you sometimes selfish? Hello? Um, if you're judgmental, the, the root issue here is the orphan heart. It's the same problem. And so freedom from the orphan heart comes from a revelation of God as our father. And the problem is, is when we come into covenant family or a church environment, 
and we come in with an orphan heart, all these symptoms within us war against covenant family. They war against a healthy church environment. But when we have a revelation of God as our father and we begin to walk in sonship, it begins to position us to experience deep and healthy and life-giving relationships with other people. Can you look back on your life and see a repetition of unresolved conflict? Oh, I've got another message brewing, resolving conflict in covenant family. That'll be a good one. But if we can look back in our life and see dysfunction and, and just this inability of, I always seem to be misunderstood and I can't seem to resolve conflict. And it's, it's, well, maybe it's a good idea to look in the mirror and say, is there an orphan heart that's at the root of this? Jesus came to set us free of the orphan heart, to be restored to God and to people. He came to bring us into sonship. He's, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to bring you into sonship. And so how do we know that we're sons of God? Well, Romans 8 tells us that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And that the Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we're sons. And so how do we know that we're children of God or sons of God? Because the Holy Spirit leads us into this revelation of sonship, into this recognition that we can relate to God as Father. And the more we walk with him, the more we begin to realize how wonderful the privileges of this are. Because sonship gives us access to all of God's covenant promises. Romans 8, 14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And we keep reading a few verses later. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children were heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. The uh, English Standard Version references uh, sons of God. The Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we're sons of God. And then he goes on and speaks of uh, children here in verse 17. So it's interesting, we've got this reference in verse 14 of being the sons of God, and then this reference in verse 16 of being the children of God. And we can see here, these are two different Greek words, and it's significant. Uh, and Paul purposefully uses this Greek word for son uh, to communicate the significance of what this word means. And it was a legal term that was used in adoption and in inheritance law in Roman culture. And so as an adopted child, even though you weren't born into, the, into that family, and even though you weren't uh, a child from, uh, from that, that father physically, if you're adopted as a son, whether a man or a boy or a girl, you had access to all the rights and privileges of the family that the child was adopt adopted into. And so legally, a son, adopted son, in this, this word, had all the same legal rights of any other child in the family. And so Paul is using this word to speak to us as Christians as we are sons of God. All right, ladies, you're a son of God. If I have to be the part of the bride of Christ, you can be a son of God, ladies, all right? That's all I'm saying. But he's helping us understand our status. We've been adopted into God's family. We're sons of God. We can enjoy, enjoy all the rights and the privileges and the obligations 
uh, and the inheritance that's due us as sons of God. But then what's interesting is Paul makes this shift and he begins to speak about us as God's, not sons, but as his children. And this, this, this was a word that went beyond just a legal term, but this was a word of great intimacy that spoke of a deep love that a father has for a child. Have you ever heard a new parent say, man, I didn't know that I could love another human being this much? Sterling Jacks, did you feel that? Like, how, I didn't know I could love another person as much as I do. You just feel this intense. This is, this is the word that, that Paul is speaking of. And so he's saying that you have this legal right as an heir, but you have such, you have been positioned, not just legally. God doesn't just bless you out of obligation and new legal right, but he actually desires you. He desires relationship. He, he just that same affection that a parent feels for a child. He feels that for you more than just legally a son. You are a child. And so we have both the confidence and the, of the legal assurance of sonship, but we have beyond that even the certainty of God's deep, deep love for us. Not just his obligation, but his desire, his longing to bless us and give us good things. And then Paul says, takes it another level, you're an heir, both legally and relationally. And so whatever the realities of heaven are, Jesus says, whatever the Father has, it's mine. Jesus lived that way. He walked that way. Why could he do all the miracles that he did? Why did he walk in the power that he walked in? Because everything that the Father has, it's mine. Whatever's going on right now in heaven, it's mine right now. I have access to that right now. And so the realities of heaven, when we begin to understand the significance of our sonship, the significance of who we are as children of God, deeply loved, positioned, he, him relating to us in the, in the same way that he relates to Christ. Maybe just speak this over yourself. I'm his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. And so what does that mean for us? It means... Whatever's in heaven, it's ours. Unspeakable joy. You're battling some anxiety, some depression. Unspeakable joy and peace that's beyond understanding. It's available to us. Physical and mental health. Protection from disease, from sickness. Financial provision. He owns it all. We were just in our prayer meeting before, and I was struck with this reality as we're praying. We're, we're, uh, we believe that God has given us a plot of land in a building in Vic Park that will be ours, Numa Perth South. And why can we, why can we stand and, and ask for that and believe for that and proclaim and declare that that is ours because it's all his and we're his sons. We have access to whatever is his. Whatever his is, is his, it's ours. A job that you love as a son, as a daughter of God, as a child of God. You don't have to continue your life in a, in a work situation that you hate. It's not God's will for you. He wants you to, to live what you love. 
heard somebody talking this week about one version of retirement is just doing work that you love. What would you do if you didn't have to work? And I was thinking, man, I'm retired right now. I love what I do. I'm living my dream. And so that's God's will for us as sons and daughters. That work isn't work. It's just it's the overflow of who we are. We don't trade our time for money. We live our calling. How about a husband or a wife? It's God's covenant promise. It's his blessing. It's his desire. Whatever, he, whatever is his is yours. Just start claiming it. How about children? A fruitful womb. Lots of babies. Growth and health as a covenant family. Us as a church reaching the lost. We have covenant promise. Harvest of uni students. Youth being saved. God opened up more doors for Sam into high schools throughout the city. Don't know how you're going to run your business and reach all the high school students, but you'll find a way, I'm sure. Healing rooms, miracles, signs and wonders amongst us. Why can we walk? Why can we expect? Why can we ask for these things? Why does God move in the lives of uni students? Will and I are out doing evangelism or, or when you're in your workplace sharing Christ with others because you're a son of, the, of God. One of the passages of scripture that's moved me the most deeply in scripture that I just read this passage, I meditate on it, and I just feel close to the Father. And I just feel privileged as a son. Psalm 25, 14, you'll just have to listen because I didn't put this one on the screen, but the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. There's another translation, intimacy with the Lord. Or I love this one, the secret of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. See, this is true intimacy with God. And we have this depth and dependence upon him, this depth of connection with him, where he begins to reveal his secrets to us. And I've literally, I've sat at times and, and I've just pondered, and I've just thought, man, the things that I see, the revelation, the things that God has shown me, just wow. The, the, this, this is the, it's, this is what intimacy is. It's this depth of connection with the Father. He begins to, and I love the next part of the verse, he makes known to them his covenant. Do you want to be one to whom he makes known his covenant? The covenant blessings and privileges that you walk in. So many people in this world are missing out on. We don't want them to. We need to tell them about it. But it's a good thing to just soak in that. That you have access. You have privilege. You have depth of connection with God that gives you entrance into his secret counsel. There's things that, he can, that he's showing you he's not showing other people. And so finally, and this is the key to walking in this depth of relationship with God, to embrace sonship, we must renounce the orphan heart. We've got to renounce the orphan heart. Psalm 68 tells us that the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. There's a sense in which if our heart is rebellious, if we don't renounce the orphan heart, if we 
we, we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. We have to choose God as our Father through Christ. The real problem of the orphan spirit, the orphan heart, is rebellion. It's that heart that creates idols to mask the fatherlessness that we might be experiencing. In January this year, God spoke to me very, very clearly. You know how sometimes these words, this like phrase, it's like just you hear the voice of God, it's like, whoa. You know, you can't, you can't forget about it. It just keeps coming up and you keep meditating on it and thinking about it. And he was speaking to me about this adjustment that he wanted to bring about in my relationship with him. And he said this, he said, I want you to stop relating to me like a son who's always in need of discipline. And I want you to start relating to me as a king that I've called to rule. There was something about my relationship with God that I always was coming to. I was coming to him as a son, but I was coming to him in immaturity. It's just always looking for him to point out something that needed to be disciplined in my life. Rather than having this recognition of sonship, and if I'm a son of God, a part of the kingdom who is extending his rule, we're, we're a, a kingdom, a, a royal priesthood. There's a royalty about us. And so there was a new level of maturity that he wanted me to relate to him in. And I, I started to, to realize this actually goes back to the dysfunction of my relationship with my dad because there should have been this transition from dad the disciplinarian and the authority figure to dad who had discipled me and now began to walk with me as a friend and as a coach and as a mentor and who brought me into manhood. And so I realized that there were some father wounds in my soul that here 26, 27 years after being born again, that God is still healing. And so I wonder what might be the father wounds or what might be the areas of your soul where the orphan heart has been at work. One of the things I saw in the early years, and I can see it looking back, I didn't see it at the time, but that orphan heart in me as a young Christian made it difficult for me to really honor other men as a father. There was that moment of kind of deep emotion. But I remember once, you know, when I was thinking that one of my pastors for really fathering me, but I remember when I, the first, when I moved on from this church that I was, uh, a part of that I got saved into, I had moved, I was moving to another city and uh, I felt that God was calling me to, to move on. And I remember honoring this man who was my pastor, but I actually didn't honor him as my father, as a spiritual father. 
because there was, there was, a, there was this difficulty in me to recognize or to humble myself to the point and that orphan spirit can, can, can make it hard for us to recognize the fathering that God wants to bring into our lives. And now on the other side of healing and fathering from God, I can look back and say, that man was a father to me, but I didn't have the capacity to recognize that. I had other men who, because of their father wounds, could never actually acknowledge that they were a spiritual father to me. Even though I was looking to this man as a spiritual father, he really struggled because of his fathering issues to, to like, it was almost like it was too much pressure for him. I can't, I can't say that I'm a spiritual father, too much pressure. And so the orphan heart can manifest in all these different ways of making it hard to be fathered or mothered or making it hard to father or mother others. It's only when we've been fathered in a healthy way that we're able to spiritually father others. I find that many people show up at a, a church like this, and you can see that orphan spirit at work in mistrust. This assumption that I'm just waiting for the moment when something's going to be exposed and revealed. It's coming. I know it's coming. Makes it difficult when that mistrust is at work to be teachable, to be discipled. I find it often manifesting in a fear of rejection at times. I know that people have walked away from relationship with me as their pastor. Uh, really, at the root of that is a spirit of rejection. It's a fear of rejection. It's this, this thought of, you know, like the enemy loves to come and, and, and uh, accuse, right? And so these lies come, these voices come that are rooted in our insecurity. He's the accuser of the brothers, of, of the family of God comes and he speaks lies into our ears about other people. And then you have this thought of, they, they don't like me. You know, and this thing of rooted in a fatherlessness or a wound from the past in, in the person's soul, that person doesn't like me, so I'm going to reject them before they have a chance to reject me. I see it all the time. And so the orphan heart can make it hard for us to really experience the depths of covenant family and relationship with others. It can make us fearful of leaders, fearful of bosses. Cause us to find ourselves repeatedly in situations where we feel like we're afraid to speak up or say anything. It's just a fear of being rejected by another person. Always assuming that the other person is thinking the worst about us. It's the orphan heart. And so there's a sense where we have to repent of the orphan heart. We have to renounce the orphan heart. I recently uh, renounced uh, my U.S. citizenship. I know I might sound American, but I'm not. No longer. I am completely and only Australian. Come on, that's worth a round of applause. And so 
I lost some of the rights. But I also lost, thankfully, the obligations, right, of being a U.S. citizen. Only country in the world, by the way, except some obscure African country that taxes its non-resident citizens on their worldwide income. I mean, how arrogant do you have to be as a nation? I know you don't live here. I know you're not benefiting from living here, but we're going to tax you anyway. And with that comes all kinds of other prying eyes. But anyway, that's, we'll, we'll save that for another message, maybe on the limits of government authority. But But there was a purposeful renouncing. I walked away from it. I said, I am no longer going to identify myself as this. I'm now identifying myself as this. I'm taking on this new identity, and I'm leaving an old identity behind. And so in the same way, we have to let go of an old identity, the orphan part, and lay hold of a new identity as sonship. Hearing the words of Jesus, I will not leave you as orphans. I am leading you out of the orphan heart. I'm, leaving you out, I'm leading you out of the insecurity, out of the, the over-concern of what other people think. I'm leading you out of the orphan heart into sonship. Maybe the worship team come back up and we'll finish up just responding to this word. Last week, we were in our intercessors meeting. So we have a prayer gathering here at 315. We'd love for you all to be there. But then we have another prayer gathering at 245. So you can come to the pre-church prayer meeting, or you can come to the pre-pre-church prayer meeting. We like to pray. But we were at this uh, intercessors gathering, which, of course, you're all welcome to come to that as well. Pray in the chapel right over there. And Leah, who's our prayer oversight, come on. She prayed this prayer, which I believe was a prophetic prayer over us as a church. And it was this. God, will you father me? I want you to father me at a deeper level. This was the prayer that Pastor Corey Turner prayed walking down into the auditorium in Melbourne at a church on the day that revival broke out there. He's walking down the hallway and he says, God, will you father me at a deeper level? next thing you know, revival breaks out. Corey is on the floor and had an encounter with God. He says that was unlike any encounter he's ever had before. And so can we pray that prayer today? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.